Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. It's great to see you today. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it's my great privilege to welcome you to worship here at Victory Life Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online as well. It's great to have you. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, you can certainly do that. If you're here in person, you can take one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you. If you would be so kind to fill that out, and if you have some extra time afterwards, we would love to have a conversation with you. And if you could, stop by our Welcome Center, and we have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning. But indeed, thanks for worshiping here with us today at Victory Life Church. For those of you joining us online, we'd invite you to check us out at vlchurch.com. And on our front page, there is indeed a banner just for you that says, Are You New Here? Just click on that banner, complete that form, and we will connect with you sometime this week. But indeed, also thank you for worshiping with us today uh, as well. I do have one reminder for each and all of you. On Sunday, November 12th, we will be having an opportunity opportunity for many of you to respond to what God has been doing uh, in your life. Uh, because for some of you, perhaps for many of you, the next step for you to respond to God in your life is to get baptized. And so we're going to be having a baptism service on Sunday, November 12th. If God has been moving in your life, if God has been nudging you and prompting you to take this next step, now is the time to make that decision and get signed up. You can get signed up to get baptized by going to our website and clicking on the banner that says get baptized and sign up. That'll come straight to us and then we'll communicate with you about uh, what the next step is. We actually have a class for you where you can get your questions answered and you'll learn all about baptism and what the scriptures have to say about it. Also, um, if you want, want information right now, if you'd like to study details and contents, please stop by our Welcome Center afterwards. We have a little red book that tells you all about salvation and baptism. I'll have one of those in my hands. I'll give that to you, and you can learn more about it as well. But indeed, uh, take action. If this is the next step for you uh, that you need to do in your faith, please go to our website and click on that banner and get signed up to get baptized most immediately. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements and reminders. Um, If you have come to worship the Lord Jesus today with your tithes and offerings, you likely know how to do it. You can go to our website uh, to give, or you can give via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings today. Can I ask you to stand this morning? And as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we say with the prophet Isaiah, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. God, we thank you for planning this moment, this morning, on this day, where you plan to meet us here right now. I pray that you would open all of our hearts and minds to receive that which you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, put your hands together. We came ready to praise today. There's no reason to be quiet. Let it out. I'll praise on the valley, I'll praise on the mountain, I'll praise when I'm sure, and praise when I'm doubting, 
Psalm 103 today. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits. He's forgiven our sins. He's healed our diseases. He's redeemed our lives from the pit. When you think about that as we're going deeper into worship today, he's redeemed our lives from the pit. Where would we be without him? 
without his goodness and his mercy and the power of his blood. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. What love could remember No wrongs we have done Omniscient, all-knowing He counts not their sum Thrown into a sea Without bottom or shore Our sins, they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. would wake as we constantly roam what father so tender is calling us home he welcomes the weakest the vilest the poor our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the Stronger than dark. 
sins they are many his mercy is more if we could just bow our heads for a moment and pray before this last song We've sang about praising him for his goodness, and we've sang about praising him for his mercy. The Bible tells us that his mercies are new every morning, which means every day we get to experience the goodness of Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood to forgive our sins. We know where we've come from. We know that we are sinners. And yet we get to have the thankfulness and the gratefulness in our hearts for the blood of Jesus. Father, as we sing this next song, I just pray that we would reflect and remember and let our hearts just be raising worship and grateful adoration of what you've done. Because without the blood of Jesus, we would still be where we were. And we thank you for that. I was a wretch, I remember who I was, I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time, sin separated, the breach was far too wide, but from the dark side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. There at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul. For the first time I had hope Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life Brought me from the darkness into glorious light. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. Now death has no sting and my life has no end for I have been transformed 
by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. presence would be here changing us, making us and molding us into the people that you have designed us to be. We pray, Lord, for an experience of your presence to continually be in our spirit. So the Lord, the God who became flesh, would be made manifest here today. We pray these things in your name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome. 
once more to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt, and it is my great privilege to be able to share from the Word of God with you this morning. But before we do that, I'm going to dismiss our young disciples. You all can head on down the hall and get a message pretty close to what we're getting this morning, which is kind of exciting. They are on track with us. For those of you who might be somewhat new to Victory Life, what we're doing this year is talking about the hallmarks of a disciple, the, the aspects of a disciple. So the Lord Jesus called us to make disciples. And so in three-week increments, we're talking about the hallmarks of a disciple, what a disciple has, what a disciple does, uh, who a disciple is. And so we're talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, we established that idea, that concept last week, and we are hoping that you will uh, participate with us this week in establishing it further. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be in two verses this morning. And you're excited about that because you're thinking this is going to be a 10-minute sermon. Au contraire, mon frere. And we're going to be in two verses, but we're also going to have a supporting text today. And our supporting text is going to be in John 14. So if you like to follow along in your Bible, I'm, I'm kind of laying it out there for you so you can follow along as, uh, as you go today. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 and then chapter 14. Recently on a Friday night, I went with my family to a high school football game and my boys go there for one reason and one reason only, and that's for snacks. And so we went down to the concession stand about the second quarter, and we came back up, and they had settled on some soft pretzels and cheese. So we got back up into the stands, and they were eating. I said, Gina, you want me to go get you a soft pretzel? And she just laughed at me. Gina's my wife, by the way. She just laughed at me, and I thought, oh, that's right. You hate soft pretzels, which is kind of funny. And it's funny because on our very first date many years ago, we went to a Guardians or an Indians game, and, and after uh, the game, we went out to eat, and we were just trying to figure out what we wanted to do there, and so we ended up ordering soft pretzels and beer cheese. Years later, we got to a restaurant. Maybe 10 years later, I said, you know what, you remember our first date? We should get the exact same appetizer that we got on that first date, soft pretzels and beer cheese. She said, I have a confession. I said, what? She goes, I hate soft pretzels. And I said, well, that's good because I hate beer cheese. What were we doing on our first date getting that? We're both like, we won't even like this. Well, you know, it's exciting when you're first dating. It's thrilling. There's a lot of enjoyment. You're just trying to, you know, make a good impression. You're not thinking about what you like and you dislike. You're trying to put your best foot forward. You're a little bit stupid because you're falling in love, right? It's, a, it's cool to be in the early stages of a relationship. Dating is fun. Oftentimes, as a pastor, I hear from folks when they're having a rough time in their marriage, when things aren't like they should be, perhaps... Their relationship's grown a little bit cold, maybe a little bit angry. And one of the first questions I ask is, are you dating one another? Like, do you still date? You know, do you go out and have fun and put your best foot forward, get dressed up, and, and have a good time? Because that, that would be good. Because that's what first attracted you to one another. That was what the beginning of the relationship was. And, and, and you, you seem to like each other then. And then I'll often I'll pull the guy aside and say, hey, listen, listen, dude, dude, 20 questions. He's like, what? I'm like, 20 questions. I'm like, you need to have 20 questions that you're going to ask your wife on the date to spur on interesting conversation that has nothing to do with work or the kids. What? No, seriously. Like, like when, when you first were in relationship, you made conversation. Do you remember that? Do you remember making conversation? It helped woo your wife to you. Try that again. Go back to what you did at the beginning. Go back to the start. Do what was, what was exciting, what was new 
and make sure you don't let that go because that's what makes for a good relationship. You see, Paul's going to tell us today that if we want to be in a relationship with Christ, we need to go back to the start. We need to think about the way things were when we first came into relationship with him. And if we will focus on those things, we will be rooted and built up and established and all types of other good Christian words. If we'll just go back to the way we did things at the beginning. Last week, we discovered that Jesus, our Lord, is a very personal being. He's introduced to us as Emmanuel, God with us, and then he gives us this winsome invitation. Come here to me. Come here to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'm lowly. I'm gentle in heart. You will find that you like following my lead. Jesus calls us into this relationship as a personal being. But oftentimes, being Christian, after a, after a certain uh, set of time, it, it becomes about what I do, not about who I relate to. Well, I go to church, and I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that. And we forget the excitement of that initial relationship that we had with Christ. Kind of like some of the marriages in this room. Your idea of a date is walking the dog around the block. That's not what you did at the beginning. Ben and Jerry's in a rom-com. That's not romance. That's a lot of calories and fat, but it's not romance. Right? Go back to what you did at the beginning. Go back to what was beautiful about that initial relationship, and you'll find that it'll be rooted, it'll be built up, it'll be established, and you'll be thankful for it. That's what the Apostle Paul is going to tell us to do in regards to our relationship with Christ in Colossians chapter 2. Just two verses today, verses 6 and 7. I originally had five verses, and then I realized I was angling towards a two-hour message. And so I cut it back to two. So here we go, two verses from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Paul, speaking to the Christians at Colossae, says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I love the ESV, the English Standard Version. The English Standard Version is famous for an economy of words, okay? It's famous for keeping it simple, all right? But what is going on here in the Greek is, is not so simple as what comes across in the English. When we look at verse 6 and it says, therefore as, that as is the as of just as, or in like manner, or in similarity to. So Paul is instructing the believers at Colossae, he's saying, hey folks, in a similar manner that, that you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In the way in which you received him, I want you to go through your relationship with him. That's what you want to do. So let me go back for some of you, some of you who would say, I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. How is it that you received him? Go back to that moment, or moments, because oftentimes people get saved like nine times. I know, I'm a pastor, right? Yeah, yes, I'll receive Christ today. I better receive him next week too, right? So this, this happens. It, it, sometimes it happens in stages, but go back to that moment. How did you receive him? Did you receive Jesus as a bundle of concepts? Did you receive Jesus as a, as a panoply of doctrines? Did, did you receive Jesus as a jumble of theologies? Or did something take place in here? Did something powerful take place in here? Does anybody remember the wrestling, the tugging, the decision that you had to make whether or not you were going to surrender your life to God? That, 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 that internal battle whereby you had to say, 
I'm going to get off the throne of my life and allow you to take your place. Do you remember that? Do you remember that reception point when you received Jesus? This word Lord is kind of instructive, isn't it? Christ Jesus, the Lord. So when you hear Messiah, that means the anointed one, which means the one and only. As we learned last week, the name Jesus means God saves. But this title that Jesus is given here, it's very instructive. When you received Jesus, you received him as the Lord, the one and only Savior, the Lord, the Master, the Boss, the Big Kahuna. That's what you received when you received Christ. That was the struggle. That was what was going on inside of you. Do I really want to submit my will to God in Christ Jesus? I remember this moment in my life. Years and years ago, as a, as a young child, six or seven years old, I could have told you that Jesus died for my sins because that's what they told me in church. And since everybody I knew who I respected believed that Jesus died for my sins, I figured I should believe it too. And so I was baptized. And I had six or seven years old because I said, Jesus died for my sins. And he rose again. But I wouldn't have been able to tell you why he rose again. A little underdeveloped theology of the resurrection. But, but I knew some things, and so I was baptized. But I can't say honestly that I received Christ. That, that, that I surrendered my will to Christ at that point. In fact, for many years, I did things my own way into my teenage years, and I was not serving Christ, and I couldn't have told you that I ever felt the presence of God. I didn't know Jesus. I hadn't received Christ. So our youth pastor, he took us to this conference up in East Lansing, Michigan, the home of the Spartans, if there's any Michigan State fans out here, and, and, and we were up in the rafters, and because and, we got there late, and... and and they were, they were preaching this great sermon. Maybe some of you were there with me. It was about cutting off dead branches in your life. And the, and the preacher said, all right, so if you want to cut off some dead branches in your life, come on down. We're going to have a massive altar call. Everybody come down onto the floor of the arena, and we're going to pray over you. And I'm like, not me. I don't want any part of that, that manipulative preacher. All preachers are manipulative, don't you know? And so I didn't want any part of that. Okay? So I stayed in the rafters. And I was so hardened towards the idea of becoming a Christian, so wrapped up in my own will for my life, I tell you, if there was one other kid up in the rafters from my youth group that stayed, I don't know who it was. Everybody was down on the floor. That's how powerful this sermon was. That's how powerful this message was. And I'm sitting there like this. Mm -mm. Want no part of it. And I remember, I don't know, sometimes this, this fellow watches, one of our youth sponsors, Greg. Greg, if you're watching... Thanks for praying for me. Greg comes over behind me. He had to stay in the rafters because there was an idiot who stayed there. And uh, he came up behind me in the row behind me. He laid his hand on my shoulder and he whispered in a prayer. And I don't even know what he whispered. I don't even know what he prayed over me. I have an inkling. I had an inkling. And Greg prayed over me. And all of a sudden the music started and they're all singing, This is my desire to honor you. And I still want the band to do that because that's the moment of my conversion. Anyhow, love that song. I love the 90s. And I have this moment where I'm just wrestling. Am I really going to give my life to God? Or am I going to continue to do things my own way? And I then prayed. And for those of you who heard, heard this nine times, I'm sorry, but I, I preach regularly. Conversion moments are important. I, I, I had this moment where I, where I prayed one of the most deeply theological and beautiful, beautifully doctrinally filled prayers of my life. I said, God, if you're real... I'll follow you. Do you see the depth of that prayer? Do you see the beautiful doctrine and theology, all of, the, all of the power of that prayer? But that prayer had all the power it needed. 
Because in that moment, I felt for the first time in my life the indwelling presence of the Lord. And it was so strong and it was so powerful that I knew God was real for the first time in my life. And I stood to my feet in the presence of the Holy Spirit and I lifted holy hands in worship. And up in the rafters like a moron, I sang to God with all of my heart and with all of my soul in thankfulness and thanksgiving. I've never stopped thanking God for that moment. Because the presence of Christ came in, and I received him. I received him. Now, your story may or may not be similar on many levels, but the story of surrender of the human heart, that is what happens when we receive Christ. Because we receive him not as our buddy, not as our coping mechanism. We receive him as Lord. We receive him as Lord. That title is important. He's the master. That's what Lord means. The master. The one and only Savior, the Lord. That's what Paul is calling Jesus here. That's how we received him. We surrendered our will to him on some level. So there are folks among us today that would say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't understand what you mean by the surrender of my will. I I don't understand what you mean by the indwelling presence of God. But, but, I, but I might just believe you that, that those things could be true. And if that's you today, I, I, I want you to just, just have that thought remain with you. Have that inkling remain with you because it's important. You know, the Bible uses this title, Lord for Jesus, just as much as it uses the title Christ. 600 times the New Testament writers call him the, the one and only, the Messiah, the Christ. Christ and Messiah are the same word. Over 600 times the New Testament writers call him Lord, Master. He's got to be more than our coping mechanism. He's got to be more than a symbol hanging on a cross. He is to be Lord. That is what the early Christians experienced him as. Could you imagine you're living in Colossae in the first century AD? Some guy named Epaphras comes to town. And I want you just for a moment to put yourself in, in the shoes of someone in the synagogue who's Jewish who's been raised your whole life to believe that a Messiah is coming to make all things new. Epaphras stands up in the synagogue, and he says, the Messiah has come. And your immediate thoughts go to, wow, that means that there's a new king in Israel? The king has defeated the Romans, and he's eventually going to take over the whole world? Yes! Tell me about the Messiah, Epaphras. Well, he died on a Roman cross. And then he was raised to new life. And he didn't defeat the Romans. He's defeated the biggest enemy of all of us, sin and death. That's the true Messiah. Now he reigns in righteousness forevermore. How do you receive that? How do you you take that in? Unless something massive takes place in your heart by which he becomes real to you. Otherwise, he's just a concept, just an idea. Imagine for a moment not being Jewish anymore. Imagine being a, a, a Greek person, a Roman citizen, who's hearing from Epaphras, the the Savior of the world has come. Okay, what's he going to save us from? He's going to save us from sin and death. How did he do that? Well, once again, crucified on a Roman cross, raised to new life after three days. He's purchased for us eternal resurrection, and he wants you to come into relationship with him. How do you receive that? If not by a massive move of the Holy Spirit that allows you to surrender that word. 
Something massively spiritual must have happened in the lives of these believers. In fact, Paul alludes to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I didn't come to you with words of eloquence or wisdom. How did Paul preach to the people in Corinth? He said, I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit. See, when we receive Christ, it's a very spiritual thing because only the, the Spirit of the Lord can allow us to surrender. In fact, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to say that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Something massive has taken place in our life to allow him to be Lord. Jesus said the same thing would take place in John chapter 16, verse 8. He says, it is the Holy Spirit who will come and convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. A spiritual exchange takes place at conversion where we surrender our will to the Lord's and he truly becomes the master of our life. Many of you would say today, well, I'm a friend of God, and Jesus is my friend. And I would say to you, I accept that, because the Lord Jesus has called you his friend. And that's a beautiful thing, that the Lord Jesus calls you brother, sister, friend. It's a beautiful, beautiful concept that the God of the universe, who created all things, would call you his friend. Here's an interesting tidbit about the New Testament. At no point does any of the New Testament writers call Jesus their friend. Not one time. Not John, not Peter, not James, not Paul. No one ever says Jesus is my friend. They refer to him as Lord. So thank you, Jesus, for calling us friend, for caring about us deeply, for loving us deeply. But the New Testament writers, if they did believe that truth, they, could, <laughs> they couldn't internalize it. Because he was the Lord, he was the boss, he was the master, he was the creator of the universe, he was the second person of the Trinity. Relationship with Jesus starts with lordship. It's where it begins. Relationship with Jesus doesn't start as a coping mechanism. Relationship with Jesus doesn't start as a, a, as a concept or an idea or a theology to embrace. Even those of you who would say, I didn't feel anything particularly stirring at my conversion, okay? Yet still, you believed, and we've already demonstrated through 1 Corinthians 12 and John chapter 8, that moment was a spiritual moment when you believed. Because who in their right mind gives lordship to God when they could do things their own way the rest of their life? Something has to take place internally. Something spiritual must take place. Paul says, just as you received the Lord, so walk in him. Relationship starts with lordship. We have these pursue nights here at the church, these moments where we invite entire families to come and pray and worship together. And one of the express reasons that we do that is because we want children to experience the presence of the Lord even before they get away to their first youth conference or missions trip. Because those are usually pretty good uh, times when people can connect to the Lord and, and, and students can't. But we just want to expose the children of the church to this idea that, that, that the presence of the Lord cannot be wrapped up in an hour and five minute service on Sunday morning. There's more to the presence of the Lord. So let's seek him, let's pursue him together, let's spend time in his presence. So after our first pursuit night, I looked at my three oldest children and I said, did you feel the presence of the Lord? Eh, no, not really. And it's, it's a regular question I ask my children because they've been baptized and they believe that Jesus died for their sins. 
But at some point, they're going to have to come to a moment of surrender where Jesus becomes Lord. That's what we call coming into our adult faith. They're going to have to have that moment. And so I, I, would, I would talk to them about this. Have you felt the presence of the Lord? Have you experienced the presence of the Lord? And I didn't want to lead them, right? I, sure you have, right? You no, know, you don't want to lead them there. But this is what I've said to my children over and over and over again. I said, there's a day that will come when you need to come into your adult faith. When you believe for yourself. When you know that, the God, that God is real because Christ's presence has come and made himself known to you. That will most often come in a moment of surrender. Where you're repenting of sin or you're giving something up and you're saying, God, you're the boss. When you get on your knees before God and pray, when you surrender to the Lord, when you do something humiliating like lifting holy hands in worship, something where you surrender and, and, and Jesus truly becomes Lord and you say, I'll do it your way and I'll humble myself, that will be the moment you come into your adult faith. Now, we're many pursuit nights in now. And, and now when I talk to my kids about, did you, what did you feel tonight? Did you feel the presence of the Lord? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was even stronger than last pursuit night. Because they've learned that surrender. They've learned to hit their knees. They've learned to obey. They've learned to say, Jesus, you, you are Lord. It's not just about the trappings and traditions of religion. No, those are uh, beautiful things, important things. The presence of the Lord that results in surrender. That is what we're talking about when we talk about relationship. It doesn't start with a coping mechanism, together wherever we go, let's be buddies and link arm in arm and go out for root beer floats. It starts with lordship. And that's what Jesus commands us. That's what he calls us to. And I think that's why he gave us baptism. What could be more humiliating than getting wet in front of other people? What, what could be more self-effacing than, than that? And not only that, coming up out of the water all bedraggled, right? But, 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 but even more so, what could be more, I don't know, um, trying to use a good word here, what could be more disconcerting than letting another human push your head under the water? I mean, that's a moment of surrender, is it not? I mean, Jesus gives us a right, R-I-T-E, to signify that he is Lord. So, so, yes, the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is, fr if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is, but if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Savior, if we confess with our mouth, Romans 10, 9, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that means he defeated sin and death, we shall be saved. Lordship is the entry point to relationship. So isn't it interesting that he wants to give us a physical manifestation of his lordship? Go ahead and do something physical to match the spiritual reality. Go down in the waters of baptism and say, I'm not the boss anymore. He's the boss. And to this point, two billion and some Christians have gone under the waters of baptism and say, Jesus is Lord. You don't do that for your buddy. You do that for the master who has saved you. He's a good master. He's a loving master. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest from this broken, sinful, sad world, this lost world. I'll give you rest from that. But he also says, take my yoke upon you, meaning take my new burden upon you and learn from me because I'm the Lord, I'm the boss, and you'll find rest for your souls because I am gentle, I am lowly in heart. I died for you, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you over and over and over again. I'm a good master. I'm a really loving Lord. What patience could wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He's a wonderful master. He's worth serving. 
but he is the Lord. So just as you receive the Lord, so walk in him. Now, walk is a pretty easy thing to understand. That is our day-to-day life. Jesus used this analogy to describe how we do life. John 8 through 12, six times Jesus says, I am the light of the world, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. Walk in the light, that's four. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. Walk in me. Do do life in me. But what's interesting here is that Paul doesn't say, walk upon the foundation of Christ. Paul doesn't say, Walk arm in arm with the Lord. Paul says, walk in him. Walk in him. In a spiritual oneness, walk in him. As if you abide in him and he abides in you, walk in him. This isn't an arm in arm. This isn't a side to side. This This is a oneness in relationship that Paul says will be achieved when Jesus' lordship is called to mind. But is this what Jesus intended? Didn't Jesus just die for our sins and rise from the dead so we can say, I believe, see you in heaven? Or did Jesus really intend for us to walk in this oneness? I told you I had a supporting text, and it's John 14. Let's see if Jesus actually describes walking in him as a reality in the lives of believers We're going to start in John 14, verse 15, where Jesus is describing to his disciples how they are going to do life once he has ascended to heaven, once he has died and rose from the dead, and once they are entrusted with the mission to make disciples, this is how you're going to do it, guys. And he explains it in chapter 14 and chapter 15, but here we go. He's going to explain what to do once he leaves. Verse 15 Jesus says to his disciples of John chapter 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So let's just stop there for a minute. We've established that the Holy Spirit dwells with us, And he's speaking of the disciples in future tense, he will be in you, okay? So we're talking about a spiritual oneness with the Holy Spirit. And we we would probably mentally assent to that. What about Christ? Look at verse 18, let's move on. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. Because I live, you'll also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you and me, and I and you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, not the betrayer, the other Judas said to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, apart from being a beautiful Trinitarian text, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all together in one place, we have some awesome, awesome promises from the Lord Jesus. First, 
that Jesus is going to convey God to us through the Holy Spirit. And a little point of theology here that I always like to get to when we see this is when he says the Holy Spirit dwells with you and will be in you, future tense, the Holy Spirit can dwell with us each and every day of our lives because Christ has forgiven us of our sin. And therefore God can come into us and make his home in us because we are no longer marred by sin. Because God and sin, they don't mix. They're oil and water. And so now that we've been forgiven by Christ, the Holy Spirit can come in. You're like, beautiful. Okay, so I'm, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to be there too. I'm going to be there too. Not only that, but the Father's going to be there too. All of us, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going to dwell with you and in you. Spiritual oneness. That's what Jesus is telling them about. He says, you'll know in that day that the Father is in me and I in you and you in me. I in you and you in me. So here's the, here's the real great question of theology. Did you receive Jesus or did Jesus receive you? Both. Both. I in you and you in me. Spiritual oneness. Jesus describes exactly what Paul is implying in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 that we will be able to walk in Christ. And Jesus uses this incredible word, manifest. I will manifest myself to you. That means real presence. In the Greek, it means you'll get a real good look at me. You'll be able to see me. You'll be able to know my presence in a real and abiding way. And I'll be with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you will know me. I rarely bring a commentary to the table. This is part of my pre-work. I read commentaries to make sure that what I'm preaching to you is not completely off base. Because commentaries go ahead and they look at the way a, a passage has been interpreted down through the years, and they give you most of the interpretations so you know that you're not preaching heresy. And I only preach heresy two to three times a year. But I wanted to read this to you. This is so good. This is from Leon Morris. He's gone on to be with Jesus. He says, the relationship of Jesus to his followers is one that the worldly cannot appreciate. Christians know Christ with the fullest meaning that that word will take. Christians know Christ with the fullest meaning that that word will take. All of this, says Morris, speaking about this passage, will give the disciples certainty. Certainty of what? The reality of God in their life. A certainty based on Christ's indwelling in God and the mutually, mutual indwelling of Christ and believers. Finally, Morris states, John's not thinking of the second coming nor the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, but of the state of believers in which they will experience the immediate presence of God. Relationship with Jesus begins at lordship, but at lordship his presence begins to be realized, and his presence, Jesus describes to us here, is brought on by obedience. Obedience to the Lord. That, that's what brings about his presence. And you say, well, 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 where do you get that from? We just read it, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll send you the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he'll be loved by my Father. I'll manifest myself to him. 
Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The presence of Christ is brought on by obedience. That's what relationship with Jesus is all about. Yes, we feel his love. We learned in Romans chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit has poured his love into our hearts. Yes, he can help us cope because, boy, he's a great comforter and he's a loving Savior. But the presence of the Lord is brought on first and foremost by obedience to the Lord. He says it three times in the space of like seven verses that you need to obey me and as you obey me, I will manifest myself to you. You say, what does this matter? What's the practical application of this, Pastor Matt? Spiritual oneness with Christ, thanks. Can we go? No, wait. Don't go yet. Because I, 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 I minister to people and I minister with people who will say to me, well, I don't feel the presence of the Lord the way I once did. I, I need God to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I... I I'm feeling like I'm just going through the motions, Pastor Matt. And, and I want to look at that person lovingly and, and, and carefully and with respect and say, where are you at in your obedience to the voice of the Lord? Where are you at in your obedience, in your walk with God? Is he Lord or just buddy? Is he just the generating concept of your particular religion? Or is he the Lord that you submit to and submit to regularly and, and, and obey? Because obedience brings about his presence. In the same way that your surrender at the moment of your conversion brought about your salvation, daily, weekly, and monthly surrender, the idea that I will obey the mandates of the Lord Jesus is going to bring about his presence all the more in your life. He says so. And Paul says in verse 7, if we, relate to Christ in the way that we received him. We will be rooted. So we have an organic verb for all you farmers out there. Thanks, Paul. We, we have a, a rooted and built up. So we have like a, a mechanical word for all the Tim the Toolman Taylors out there. We have a mechanical word, right? You'll be built. You'll be, you'll, be, you'll be built. And then he gives us one more word. He says, and you'll be established. Now, now that isn't established like establish a foothold on the football field. That word establish is, is from the root of to prove true. So if we walk in Christ in the same way that we received him, he'll prove himself true. And where does Jesus prove himself true? When we experience his presence. That's where he proves himself true. Yes, he proves himself true when we do things according to the word of God and, and things get better. Y yes, he proves himself true by being wise and powerful and omniscient and knowing the end from the beginning. But how does he prove himself true to you? And to you? And to you? How does he do it? His presence. How do you know he's real? His presence. His manifesting himself to you. See, the early Christians, they didn't have, well, my, my, my dad was Baptist, and my mom was Episcopalian, and so we went to the Methodist church, and now I'm at non-denominational victory life. There, there was no foundational religion. There was no basis for Christianity. There was, no, there was no collective compact of Puritans who had come to America 
and, and founded us some puritanical principles. There was none of that. There was just, is there a real presence of God or not? That's what the early Christians had. Is the spirit real? Is Jesus real? That's all they had, and that's how they received. What about us? Are we going to base our religion on the foundations of this country? Are we going to base our religion on the foundation of our parents? Or are we going to base our religion and establish it on the presence of Christ that comes about when we obey him? Because that's what relationship is all about. His presence reestablishes relationship. That's what he does. As we experience his presence through obedience, he, he will make himself real to us. His real and abiding presence will come to us, and we will know that he is real. He will reestablish us in the faith. That happened just this past week. About 12 of us gathered right here in a circle in prayer over each one of you. That's what we do on Tuesdays. Our Tuesday prayer group prays for you. And it was 1 o'clock. It was time for service to be over. We would prayed for an hour. Felt like 10 minutes. Sometimes it feels like two hours. It just depends on the prayer meeting. Let's be honest. Sometimes prayer meetings are great, sometimes eh, not so much. But it got to be about 1 o'clock. And people were just praying. And the Holy Spirit's presence, or Christ's presence, or the Father's presence, how do I know, John 14, how do I know, came into that space. And we couldn't leave. Because the presence of the Lord was so strong. And I had another moment between being 14 or 15 in the rafters of East Lansing, Michigan, to, to the point of being 39 at the, at the front of the altar at Victory Life, where the presence of the Lord reestablished my relationship with him. And I don't know why, but as the, as the presence of the Lord was so keenly felt, I just turned my hands out like this. Like, I just want to receive Every bit of your presence, Lord. And because I'm a, I, I'm a heathen, I looked up to see if I was the only one feeling it. And I looked around the circle as, as more and more of those ladies and men had their hands like this. And nobody wanted to end the meeting. Because the presence of the Lord was that reestablishing us, rooting us, building us, reminding us that he's real. What great act of obedience had we engaged in that day? We prayed Powerful, right? Earth-shattering. We prayed. We prayed. We prayed in accordance with the scriptures. We prayed over the people of God. The way Paul does in Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians and so on and so forth. But we prayed. There's other acts of obedience that bring about his presence. The point is this, my friends. You receive Christ by a surrender of the will. Relationship was established his lordship if you're not feeling his present currently and, and, and you're not feeling established in your relationship with Christ it's time to surrender you mean in this place right now I don't know maybe I don't need anything specific to happen you need something specific to happen you don't need to surrender for me I don't care if you kneel I don't care if you shoot a grappling hook up to the ceiling and swing from the rafters in submission to the Lord. I don't care. But if you don't know his presence, you need to surrender and obey. Because that's relationship with Christ. That, that's what it's all about. Feeling his presence and knowing 
that he's real. That's where relationship begins, and that's where it is maintained. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and established, and built up, just as you were taught, with thanksgiving. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's tough because some of us have been taught that the ultimate experience of Christianity is exegetical preaching. And while it is an expression of Christianity, it is not the ultimate expression. The ultimate expression of Christianity is relationship with you where we surrender our lives to a friendly and loving master who has given his life that we might regain ours. And our response to this, Lord Jesus, is not, oh, thank you, how nice, nor is it, help me get through life, our response is, you can have my life. I get off the throne and you get on. I want to feel your real presence, God. I want to know that my prayers are not just spoken into the air. I want to know that Christ is real. I want to know that this relationship that others claim can be real for me. So my question to you, my friends, is this. What do you need to surrender? Where do you need to obey? What do you need to lay down? Some of you just need to lay down your life. You've never received Jesus. He's waiting to receive you. Some of you need to say, I repent. I turn my life towards you, and I do it today. I want to receive all that you have for me, Lord. I don't have a particular expression to give you physically to make that happen today. But I know that some of you have made that choice and are making that choice, in which case, be baptized. Start there. But for many others of you today, you know that he is Lord. You know that you've experienced his presence, but it's been a long, long time. What's he speaking to you today? What is he telling you to lay down? What's he telling you to surrender? It's the path to his presence. Ask him right now. What are you asking me to lay down? Where are you asking me to obey? How do you want me to surrender? You just take a moment of prayer with him.
center of the universe everything was made in you Jesus breath of every living thing everyone was made for you you hold everything together you hold center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. If you make that your prayer today, just sing with me. Oh Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives. We lift our eyes to heaven, we wrap our lives around your life, we lift our eyes to heaven. To you, oh, we lift our eyes to heaven. We wrap our lives around your life. We lift our eyes to heaven. To you, just just declare it to him one more time. Oh, Christ. Center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives. Oh Lord, we pray that that would be real for each and every one of us, that you would establish and reestablish lordship. You want to dwell with us, and we want to dwell with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. rendition of that song. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh-huh.